You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. This is your host, Tim Link, and I'm so glad you're joining us today. My special guest today is the former senior orca trainer at SeaWorld and author of the new book, Beneath the Surface, John Hargrove. And John's going to be talking to us a little bit about the ins and outs and what really goes on behind the scenes at uh, SeaWorld and working with orcas. And we're also going to talk to John a little bit about uh, the whole writing process. How was it? And the, the ins and outs of putting together such a great book. So everybody hang tight and we'll come right back after these messages. You're listening to the Animal Rights Show on Pet Life Radio. Sit. Stay. We'll be right back after a short pause. Well, four to be exact. Amazing Pet Expos is coming to a city near you. Admission is always free and your pet is welcome. Shopping, adoptions, free nail trims, discounted shots and microchipping, agility, a pet costume contest, and much more. Plus, meet the guys from Animal Planet's hit TV series Tank and Pit Boss online at AmazingPetExpos.com. Bring your pets to the Pet Expo! Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back. Welcome back to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Joining us now is a former senior orca trainer for SeaWorld and author John Hargrove. John, welcome to the show. Tim, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Oh, it's my pleasure. And I tell you, congratulations on the great book. It's really intriguing. Uh, parts of it I, I really didn't want to know. I kind of kind of knew, but I didn't want to know. But I want to delve into that. But tell us a little bit about the book. Well, you know, when I first, well, my co-writer, uh, Howard Shore, who worked at Time Magazine uh, for, uh, gosh, 13 years, I believe. Um, now he's at Bloomberg. He was supposed to be retired. Now he's at Bloomberg. But um, he tried to write, get me to write this book for years, and I never would write it because I'd left SeaWorld and in the killer whale industry for a while, and then I came back to it in 08. And so certainly once I came back to, the, to SeaWorld in 2008, it was impossible for me to write the book because they completely owned me at that point. And then when I left again for good in August of 2012, and I was doing Blackfish, seven days after I resigned, that's when I gave my interview for Blackfish, he approached me again and said, you have to write this book. Now is the time to get this story out. And I went into it with the mindset of not trying to attack SeaWorld. I really went into it with the mindset or in not being a Blackfish 2, so to speak, I just went into it and I was like, I'm going to give just an accurate depiction of my 14-year career that was spread out over a 19-year period, all the high points and all the low points. And as you know, because you've read the book, you know, once I got into it, there were just so many low points that it naturally just became a tell-all book on its own. I mean, certainly the high points are still in there and the incredible relationship that we have with those animals and what those animals are truly capable of. But that just goes right back to highlight why they should not be in captivity. But we just had so many low points between just us personally and professionally. And of course, what happens to the animals, the damaging effects, the psychological and physical damaging effects of captivity. You know, once I put that all in the book, you're just like, it's hard to even see it in front of you on a piece of paper, even though you've had it in your mind 
for years, you know. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I'm going to delve into a little bit about uh, the work as and working with them, et cetera, here in a moment. But when you put the book together and put it all down on paper, I mean, did you – it sounds like you were shocked at the number of low points. I'm sure you knew the low points to begin with, but were you amazed at how many uh, of those actually were more dominant than the high points? I was. I mean, obviously, when I left SeaWorld, I was I was disenchanted with SeaWorld. I've been fighting management for years. And I was also fighting my own serious physical injuries due to swimming with the whales for so many years. It was surprising to me how much that I had kind of stored away and that I did not consciously think of. But then once I got into the writing process, it came back. And I would remember things that happened that I hadn't thought about in years. And terrible things, too. Terrible things that you would think wouldn't leave your mind. So it was a difficult journey to write that. And especially because, you know, I certainly have never written a book before. And so I was naive to it. I, I thought, okay, great. I wrote this 73,000, which turned into an 80,000 word manuscript. <laughs> okay, great. I'm done. And anybody who knows <laughs> about the literary world, you're far from done. So yeah, you just scratched the surface. Yeah, exactly. You're just yeah, getting started I mean, at that point. <laughs> if I had known, if I had known that I'd have to be put through that process, because, you know, a lot of that, it was very painful memories. Mm-hmm. And I had to, I think we ended up doing rewrites before the final version, you know, went out. And uh, it was hard to have to just reread it all from word for word and then rewrite it and insert corrections and relive it all over again, you know, for each rewrite. That part was really difficult for me. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, I can imagine. Well, well, tell me a little bit about we hear both sides of the story is sort of what I hear on it. And we're, especially when we're talking about orcas in captivity compared to the wild. Give us the real story on that, first of all. What are the big differences between the orcas in captivity at SeaWorld or any other uh, location compared to the animals in the wild, how they act, the intermingle, whatever it may be? Well, you know, this was something, too, that I had to learn even once I left SeaWorld because even with all of my experience and all of my years of swimming with killer whales, I knew nothing about killer whales in the wild. My whole world was from a captivity perspective. And we were taught and trained at SeaWorld that all the marine mammal scientists out there and orca researchers, that they were just quacks and to be ignored. Their research was to be ignored, that we were the authority, that we were the sole authority, and that we were the only ones in the world that knew how to properly care for killer whales and what, what their needs were behaviorally, physically. It was a very elitist mentality at SeaWorld. So I, in the last two and a half years since I've left, it's been a great growth opportunity for me because these same people that I was brought up and taught to loathe and discredit without even knowing them, I found out not only were they not crazy people, but they're actually very smart and they do know what's really happening and how, you know, killer whales that are living free in their natural environment out in the ocean, how they are. And, and then you can really see the drastic differences. But, you know, at SeaWorld, now it's unbelievable that SeaWorld is even trying to say now that their killer whales live comparable to the lives of killer whales out in the wild. This is just simply a false statement. I mean, if people are confused and say, oh, I don't know who I want to believe or who I choose to believe, you can go to a site called Thetabase. They are all official government documents from NOAA that document each time a captive killer whale has died, the age that they died, and what they died from. And you can see, as I put in my book, the averages, it's something horrific. Like the average life expectancy of killer whales in captivity at SeaWorld is 12.8 years. When you compare that to killer whales in the wild that are, you know, males that are easily living to be 30 to 50 years old or more, 
and females that are living into their 80s or more, I mean, how can you justify 12.8 years? And it's just, it's just unbelievable. And like I said, you know, if it comes down to it where people are like, well, I'm confused, I don't know where to look. NOAA, those are official documents. Those are official government documents that, that have to be recorded, and you can do the math yourself. And then the, uh, the other big differences are, I mean, even to keep our whales alive, as long as we do, which is incredibly and shockingly short, they are so pumped full of medications from antibiotics to antipsychotics to Valium, drugs that treat ulcers from chronic stress, all the amount of dental work that we have to do, drilling the teeth of the killer whales, flushing them every day. Do you think killer whales in the wild need any of those things? Mm -hmm. They certainly don't get it, and their life expectancies are longer. So, I mean, you don't have to dig very deep to see it for what it truly is. It's like if you're having to give your animals all these drugs all the time, and I've worked with killer whales in my career that never went off drugs. They were on drugs every single day of their life just to keep them alive to a fraction of what their true life expectancy is, it's clear to see that there's a problem. Absolutely. Well, that's amazing. I mean, I would have, uh, I didn't know those statistics, so that's real eye-opener when you talk about that. Now, John, talk to us about the orcas in general uh, that brought into SeaWorld and other similar facilities. I mean, are, are they captured and brought in? Are they born there and raised there? Do they not know any difference? Because obviously there's a lot of other good educational things, uh, centers out there for other animals that are just not able to get back out into the wild. Tell us a little bit about right. the workers that, that we see at like SeaWorld and some of the other locations. Well, and you make a good point. I mean, there are some zoological institutions out there that are doing some great things and they need to, to really, for conservation for a species. The killer whales, there is no need for killer whales to be in captivity. The only endangered population of killer whales on the entire planet is the southern resident population, and that is because SeaWorld collectors actively took or killed, captured or killed 58 members of the southern resident population at the height in the 60s and 70s, even into the 80s. And it decimated almost that entire population of killer whales, you know, wiped out all these animals that would have at this point already been having calves, you know, multiple calves of their own. Now they're slowly recovering, but they're, they're the only ones in the world that are endangered. And that is because largely because of SeaWorld. So, you know, as far as behavioral differences, this is another way that SeaWorld tries to manipulate the public. They say, um, you know, we only have five killer whales that were captured from the wild. And now, you know, however they give their percentage of how many killer whales that they, you know, are born there now. It's all misleading. It's all this facade and it's like careful wording. And it tricks people because they don't think about it. Okay, they only have five killer whales captured from the wild that are still alive. They've had <laughs> in their collection since they've opened more than 30-something, and I have, should know this number off the top of my head, but I have so many numbers flying through my mind uh, with right now with everything that's going on. But I believe it's like it was either 32 or 36, and it's in my book. And these, of course, I got from official documents that SeaWorld has owned that were captured from the wild, either directly by SeaWorld or what, what a, a crafty little thing that they would do is they would have SeaWorld collectors capture a killer whale. They go briefly to another facility and SeaWorld would acquire that whale from that facility. And they say, oh, we didn't do it. We didn't capture that whale. We just got that whale from another facility when clearly it's like a shell. It's, you know, it's just a, it's a way to funnel 
the whales into SeaWorld with, without SeaWorld getting so much of the heat that they are the ones that captured them. But, you know, when you have more than 30 whales that they have owned in the history of their company that were captured from the wild, and then to try to mislead the public and say, we only have five killer whales that were captured from the wild. And if that's the kind of stuff that really starts to be like fingernails on a chalkboard to me, because it's like you're so deceptive. You're so deceptive with the messaging that you're putting out there. You're not being forthright. You're not being honest with the public. It's all about manipulating things the way that to, to put out this image that you want. And that's the part that really makes me sick. Yeah. Well, I can imagine. I can imagine. So it's purely in SeaWorld's case, it's a pure business model. It's uh, it's pure profit. It's not necessarily, though they may have the facade of being an educational institution and a uh, an institution to help the uh, killer whales. It's, it's pure business at that point. Absolutely. And I think by law, under the Marine Mammal Protection Act of 1972, the only way these animals can be in captivity is if it's for education. So they have to try to spin it somewhat. But anyone who, and I'm certainly not encouraging anyone to come into SeaWorld recently, knows that there's absolutely zero educational content in those shows. You go to a, a dolphin show, like what do they call the Blue Horizons? It's basically like their take, their water right. take on a um, Sleeping Beauty or whatever. I'm sorry, that's not educational about the animals that you're, you're displaying <laughs> on show. And in our killer whale show, we never even use the word killer whale just to even show, or, or sinus orca or anything. We never, there was nothing educational about it. We were doing dance steps. We were doing, our night shows were, were uh, structured around music, like to, from Jennifer Lopez, like rock music. We're out there dancing. We have trainers with glow sticks dancing around in sequined outfits. Now you tell me what educational content is there in that type of show. There's nothing. Right. And what I think is what's most horrific about that is this is one of the, if not the most magnificent animal on the planet. And you have degraded them to the level of this is how you're showcasing this magnificent apex predator. You're making them dance around to Jennifer Lopez songs. No offense to Jennifer Lopez, <laughs> but Killer Wells should not be dancing to Jennifer Lopez songs. And you shouldn't have trainers dancing with glow sticks and sending whales to hit musical cues to this music. It's just its just a joke. I mean, really, I, the end of my career, I was embarrassed. I was really embarrassed to do those shows when my family members would want to come and see me. And, you know, of course, they'd come and see me do shows for years. And it was a time in my career I was very proud of it. But I was not proud of it at all uh, the last few years of my career. And I was outright embarrassed. And when family members would want to come, I'd tell them, no, you can't come. And they're like, what do you mean we can't come see you? We're your family. And I'm like, I'm embarrassed for you to see me do this show. I'm embarrassed of it. So, John, did you have a uh, sort of break the camel's back moment, I guess they would say, you know, when you just said, I cannot handle this? And if so, what was that breaking point? Because there had to be a, a certain period of time where you're like, I just cannot do this anymore. Well, I was really struggling with the forced artificial insemination on the whales. And, and two, because we were, you know, I loved all the whales, but the whale I was closest to in my career, my most valuable relationship, she became targeted as one of the three most viable females for artificial insemination. So we were treating her really as a baby machine, and we were forcing these pregnancies on her and, you know, via artificial insemination. And that really hit me hard because I didn't want her. She had already been stripped away from her mother at SeaWorld. They had already taken away her first two calves. Both of them were only three years old when they took the calf away from her. And they were just treating her like a baby machine. So that really is what I would say when I started turning my ugliest towards SeaWorld. 
but I still held on to something, some shred of, because it really is a cult-like mentality and a cult-like atmosphere, and you can't just so easily just walk away from it. Like, it really, you know, grabs a hold of you. And, um, but then so many things happened all at once. You know, Alexis Martinez was killed by Keto. Keto is a well I used to work with when he was in the California park before they shipped him off to Spain. And then Dawn, who I'd known for nine years, she was killed and dismembered by Telecom 60 days later. And worse than those deaths was how Sewell handled it. They blamed both of them for their own death and lied to the public and said that, you know, like Telecom never attacked Dawn. They even said that in court. Telecom never attacked Don. Well, he clearly attacked Don. He he was emitting highly upset vocalizations the entire time. He refused to be emergency recalled away from her the entire time. He was forcibly beached into a pool that was three pools away before they could even get his with nets over the top of him before they could even get, get her body out. And she was dismembered. He had torn off her left arm. He had scalped her. He severed her spinal cord. If you don't call that an attack, what do you call it? And internally, we, of course, always referred to it as what it was, was a highly aggressive event. But they would go out to the public and they would say he never attacked Don, that he was merely just maneuvering her and keeping her from reaching the surface. That's how they testified in court. So then when I just saw all that play out, and then when they finally testified in court that they had no knowledge, we had a dangerous job which the judge even called him out on that and said, that's not even plausible. No reasonable person would conclude that. And we have all your internal documents with your very signatures on it where you're speaking about how dangerous these whales are and why only certain approved trainers can work with them because of how dangerous they are. And now you're going to be in federal court and say, we had no idea they were dangerous. So when I saw all that, all my passion inside me for my job died. It just died. It just took it all out of me because I was like, this is what they're going to do to me. If I go out there today and I get killed doing my job for all and all the risks that I've taken for this company for all these years, they're going to throw me under the bus just like they did Don, just like they did Alexis, and they're going to blame me for my own death, and I'm not even going to be alive to defend myself. Mm, goodness. So since writing the, uh, obviously doing the Blackfish and, and writing the book and everything, what backlash have you had? What kind of, were, was, did SeaWorld step up and try to stop you from doing all this? <laughs> yeah, they definitely did. And then lied about it too. And they got busted on that lie just this past week. So they started sending the threatening legal letters. So I've got, you know, three or four in, in total. But, you know, I have the attorneys at McMillan and then I have my own law firm that I secured that's a very prominent law firm to, you know, protect my rights. You know, that I have a First Amendment right to speak about my life and my experiences. And they tried to stop that, threatened me if I went forward with the book that they, you know, would sue me. They even at one point threatened to, to file an injunction to try to stop the book. And then while I was on my book tour, course they played dirty they drug up things from my past that are not very flattering to me that of course you know i i'm not proud of but they they sent that information out to the media just to the media that they knew were planning on or were going to interview me or and they mm-hmm. still did interview me and review my book and just say you know we hear you're going you know that was the official letter i mean i saw it anybody can see it. it's public now and uh you know before you interview him and before you review his book you should know this about him you know, and like I said, it's, it's not anything that I'm proud of from my past. I'm certainly not a perfect person. It had nothing to do with my Killowell training career. It had nothing to do with Killowell training in general. It was just a smear campaign against me. And they also took it a step further and said they had never legally threatened me. So I gave the exclusive to the Times of San Diego reporter 
and send him just, just one of those three or four legal letters showing that they had threatened me. So he went back to SeaWorld and said, you said to Fred Jacobs, who's the corporate uh, spokesperson for SeaWorld, and said, Fred Jacobs, you said you guys never threatened John Hargrove, but here's a letter that where you threatened him. So, of course, then it went straight to the their legal team, and they came back, and they just said, oh, that's not threatening. Uh, that's just typical legal language in a letter. <laughs> so then they took it, then they took it to, the reporter took it to Cal Aware, I think that's the name of the organization, and had an, an expert analyze it and say, is this a threatening letter or not? And they said, absolutely, it's, it's a threatening legal letter. So then now, you know, it's gone all out on the internet, thank goodness, that it's like, you know, they threatened me and then they lied about it. They lied about threatening me. But this is exactly how they play. I know them very, very well. And this is the reason why they have silent trainers for decades. People have wondered why trainers have not come out before. Well, I mean, even in my book, I talk about trainers who were nearly killed by killer whales. They sued SeaWorld. And because they didn't have the same money to fight the SeaWorld legal team, eventually they were forced into settlement. But the most important thing is every single one of those trainers were gag ordered. Mm-hmm. Well, this played out during my career, and I knew the details of it. Well, I'm not gag ordered, so I can talk about it. I would like to say it was all surprising, John, but I, I'm not. I mean, the details are fascinating and, and surprising to get into the meat of it, obviously, but the lack of better words. But you know, it doesn't surprise me about corporate America because obviously they're a corporate business designed to make money, and uh, they'll do what they need to do. Yes, they will. And it's, it's, you know, it's a shame that they can't just – I mean, look at what's happening with Ringling Brothers. Here's a circus I would have never thought in my lifetime I would have seen this. 145 years old, they have so much money and power, and they come out now and said, look, you know, because of what uh, – you know, and they cited it. They cited animal welfare reasons and a shifting in what their consumers wanted to see. We are no longer going to have elephants in our shows and performances, and we're retiring every single one of our elephants to an elephant sanctuary by 2018. So now you have a circus, a circus that is now more progressive on animal rights than SeaWorld, which I think says it all. I mean, SeaWorld has had so many opportunities to come to the table to try to work with people, and they have refused. They have flat out refused to change their business model in any way. They just deflect and try to say, oh, look how great we are. We do all this rescue and rehab. People don't understand that they spend less than 1% of their annual revenue towards the rescue and rehab. That they try to build themselves as a company that their core value is rescue and rehab. It's all just a facade. It's all just to exploit these animals for profit and for money. And anybody who speaks out about it and tells the truth, they're going to viciously go after them. But I'm not afraid of SeaWorld. They're they're not going to intimidate me into silence. I don't care. There you go. Good on you, John. Hey, listen, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back right after these messages, continue our conversation with uh, John Hargrove, talk to him about his uh, book, Beneath the Surface. Everybody hang tight. Uh, You're listening to Animal Rights Show on Pet Life Radio. Sit. Stay. We'll be right back after a short pause. Well, four to be exact. Hi, I'm Dana Humphrey, also known as the Pet Lady. I travel from coast to coast to pet trade shows and consumer events to scout out what the hottest, hippest, and most unique pet products are on the planet, bringing you tips and tricks from top veterinarians, groomers, trainers on how to safely travel and live happily with your pets. 
the pet lady will be in a city near you, showing off the latest and greatest tech, pet gadgets, cozy comforts, and fab gift ideas for man's and woman's best friend. You can learn more at thepetlady.net or connect socially and tweet with me at PetLadyWorld. Active for Pets is a new wellness platform and app that helps pet parents save time and money on their vet bills. Stop paying for unnecessary vet treatments. Consult with a vet online. Get unlimited access to your pet's entire health history from any computer or smartphone with the Active for Pets app. Vaccinations, medications, test results, and more. Active 4 Pets gives you access to a team of expert vets for non-emergency care. Make an appointment before, during, or after office hours. Skip the waiting room and get a secure online vet consult on your schedule. Taking care of your pets is as easy as it gets with Active 4 Pets. Ready to try Active 4 Pets? Listeners get 40% off a one-year membership. To get this great offer, use promo code PETLIFE on the sign-up page of Active4Pets.com. That's A-C-T-I-V, the number 4, P-E-T-S dot com. Or call 888-512-2848. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets on Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. Welcome back. Welcome back to Animal Rights Show on Pet Life Radio. Joining me now is uh, former senior orca trainer at SeaWorld, John Hargrove. Uh, his latest book, Beneath the Surface. Now, John, switching gears, switching gears a little bit. We talked at the top of the show about the writing process and working with a, a co-writer and putting together your first book, being a little bit more challenging perhaps than you you'd realized. But uh, walk us through that whole process. How long did it take to put it down sort of on paper, the first draft, and then going through the various drafts, the editing process, before you actually had something in your hands? Well, I knew <laughs> when I initially would refuse for all those years to write the book, I because I was like, I'm not a writer, and I don't understand the whole process. It was too overwhelming. And, you know, the only when I decided, when I decided to, to write the book, it was only once it was explained to me in this way. They're like, listen, you have these stories in your head. You speak about them every day to people. All you have to do is write down those stories. You don't even have to put them in any specific order. That's our job. It's my job as a co-writer. You know, I'm speaking for Howard and the editors. You know, we will structure it and make the arc and do all, you know, all that fancy stuff. You just need to put down on paper the stories that you know forward and backward and you speak about all the time. It's like, okay, I can do that. So, but once, you know, you, you always hear about the writer's block. I had that writer's block from day one. Because it was so different, like having it in my head and then trying to like, where do you begin? Like, where do you even start with this? So I would just like put it off and put it off and put it off. And then I really avoided it for a long time. And then just one night I couldn't sleep. And it was like it had gotten to, you know, two o'clock, three o'clock and four o'clock in the morning. And I finally just grabbed like something I had received in the mail, wasn't even a tablet or anything, and just and on the back of it and just said, well, if I can't sleep, I might as well start putting something down on paper. And that's how it all began. So all my initial writing, probably the first hundred pages, were on the backs of things that envelopes and, <laughs> you know, wasn't even structured in a, in a tablet form. And then what I realized about me is like, I can't write till after midnight. So I get like during the day, there are too many things going on. There's too many distractions. 
but so my brain wouldn't even allow me to go there and in my mind about those stories. Cause like I said before, some of them were very painful and some of them were locked away and I didn't even realize I had locked them away, but they would come out or I could access them more from midnight. So what I ended up doing is then once I found that way, that passage to do it, I would write from midnight to 8 a.m. or 8.30 in the, in the morning. I'd go to IHOP and eat breakfast, and I'd go to bed. And so my <laughs> days and nights turned completely upside down. And I wrote like that from start to finish until I had everything. What I thought was completed, like, oh, that was tough, and I'm done. <laughs> and then, But, yeah, so I, for me, the writing process, it can only happen. So even when I had to do all the rewrites, I wouldn't start on them until after midnight the because midnight. that was the only time my brain would allow me to go there. Yeah, well, it's fascinating, you know, when you have those times, you know, I've talked to, obviously, I'm a writer myself, and I uh, talk to a lot of authors and writers, and it's all different. There's no rhyme or reason to it. Some have a very, you know, I, I know folks that get up at four in the morning, and they write from four to six or four to seven, because that's when their brain's functioning, and perhaps that's when the kids and the dogs are still asleep, uh, they can get it done. And uh, there are others that, you know, it's just whenever the epiphany hits them to sit down and start writing. And so that's fascinating, you know, get your uh, work day done get all the good sitcoms well there's no good sitcoms but get all the tv watching out of the way <laughs> and then uh then start your writing and wrap it up with a nice uh, triple stack at ihop that sounds pretty good <laughs> right it, was, it wasn't a bad plan after all it's like that was like my reward i was working towards my reward and of course i had to share it with my dog so she got to benefit too because she had to endure the pain of it. why are we up all night as you're effectively doing this, but yeah, for the people who can wake up and write right away, I mean, more power to them because I can barely even say a name for the first hour after I wake up. I can't yeah. even imagine like, <laughs> writing. That's me too. It's like, you know, I'm taking the dogs out, but nobody talked to me. Dogs don't even talk to me. I, exactly. I need a good don't hour. Don't talk to me for an hour. <laughs> <laughs> hey, John, after everybody picks up a copy of the book, uh, Beneath the Surface, Killer Wells, SeaWorld, and the Truth Behind Blackfish, what do you hope they walk away with? Is there a key message or one thing you really hope they get out of it? I just hope that they really just see that this time has passed. The time has passed that we need to have, that we use these animals. Because I never, there was never a need, but I really don't believe there was ever a need. But, but especially now, there's not, even if there ever was one. But people just get to see it for what it really is. These animals do not belong in captivity. We do not need to use these animals and to sacrifice their lives for entertainment. Like, well, this is 2015. We have evolved past this way of thinking this is not the 1970s anymore. This is not the early 1980s. We just don't think like that anymore. We're, you know, we're evolving on all types of social justices. And like Jane Velez Mitchell has said, this is the emerging social justice of the 21st century. I mean, people are realizing that animals have rights too. And it's just what's happening here for just staggering amounts of profit see the damaging effects what truly happens to these animals physically and psychologically from being in captivity so that you can walk away and say, oh, I had a great day at SeaWorld. That was so cool to see a killer whale. It's just not right. It's not morally or ethically right. And we need to stop it. And we have to stop SeaWorld from their breeding program, from their forced artificial insemination program, which they're doing now even on juvenile whales, which is disgusting. And we need to close the shop up. And I'm not saying close SeaWorld's doors completely. That's really up to them. If they don't want to change their business model and they close their doors, then I'm not, I really don't feel sorry for them. 
but they have an opportunity to stop their breeding program, phase out killer whales and dolphins in captivity, and they can go to amazing types of rides that you see at Universal Studios where people can still learn about the sea and learn about these animals. And you don't have to have these animals caged up, living these tortured existences in these horrifically sterile environments and living incredibly shortened lifespan for profit. I mean, let's all come together and see this for what it is. This is a giant corporation that is exploiting these magnificent animals for staggering amounts of profit. And just because you want to see them, and trust me, I understand why people want to see these whales. That's the whole reason why I had this dream as a child and wanted to live that life. But these whales deserve better. And we know now what happens to them from being in captivity. We didn't know before, like when this first started happening. Right. We know now without, without any doubt what happens to them from being in captivity. So we have the power to stop it by not visiting SeaWorld and these types of parks that keep these animals in captivity, profit and entertainment. Good deal, John. Hey, where can people find out more about Beneath the Surface and find out about all your activities going on? Well, Palgrave McMillan is my publisher out of New York City. And so obviously they can uh, go to Palgrave McMillan's site. My book made a New York Times bestseller, which I'm excited about. Um, That's that's good Mm -hmm. news to me. It was never a goal of mine, certainly never writing a book before. So that's exciting. But, you know, they can follow me on Twitter at John J. Hargrove. Make sure you put that middle J in there or you're following the wrong John Hargrove. (laughs) You know, that happens easily. But, um, you know, because now we're doing, we're focusing a lot on legislation and getting bills passed, laws passed that, you know, if if SeaWorld's not going to conform, then we're going to force them by law. And, uh, you know, all those things are coming. But, yeah, beneath the surface, I think, you know, watch Blackfish, you know, which I I was um, one of the subjects featured in Blackfish. And visit Voice of the Orcas, which is formed by some of the other subjects and former killer whale trainers that were featured in Blackfish and friends of mine. They put out great information, not only about what's happening with SeaWorld, but with killer whales and captivity all around the world. But yeah, I think they'll get a lot of information out of the book. And, um, you know, the book is out there and available and hardcover and ebook and audiobook. And um, I just, you know, people don't need much. I mean, there are people that were even never really thought about this issue. If you just arm them with just a little bit of knowledge, people are smart and people's brains start to work and they start to say, you know what? I always knew that this didn't feel quite right. And now I know why. There you and, go. you know, I, I wish I could tell you that these animals were thriving in captivity. I really wish I could say that, but that's not the truth. They're not, they're not even surviving in captivity. Wow. Well, John, hey, congratulations on the book, Beneath the Surface. Uh, you know, big kudos to you. Big kudos for standing up for the, uh, the orcas and all the, uh, the dolphins as well. And, uh, you know, good on you. Good on you to stand out there and, and sort of take the bullets so we can educate some people on uh, what really is going on at uh, SeaWorld and, and other things. So uh, congratulations on everything. We really appreciate it. Thank you, and I appreciate what you guys are doing, the awareness that you guys are bringing, not only to this issue, but for all animal rights. I mean, and this is what this is about. I mean, this is a time for us all to unite, and uh, we all have different strengths and weaknesses, but when we come together, we can force the change that needs to happen, and these animals deserve it. You know, not even just killer whales and dolphins, but, I mean, all animals, I mean, they they deserve these rights. And, and, you know, we're lacking in in the U.S. I mean, there are countries around the world, like 30 countries around the world that are more progressive on these issues than we are. So, I mean, it is time that we really 
the power of media, the power of your programs like yourself, we can really force the change. And it's time that we all united and did that. Absolutely. Take care of those animals. That's a good point. Good job. John, thanks so much for uh, coming on to the uh, Animal Rights Show on Pet Life Radio. We really appreciate it and we look forward to uh, following all your efforts and uh, talking to you again sometime down the road. Thank you for having me. You have a great day. Now you too. All right. Well, hey, we're coming to the end of the show today. Uh, I want to thank everyone for listening to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. I'd also like to thank our sponsors and producers for making this show possible. To find out more about me and the other guests I've interviewed on the Animal Rights Show, you can visit PetLifeRadio.com, click on the Animal Rights icon, and download the episodes and listen to your heart's content. And while you're there, be sure to check out all the other wonderful hosts and shows on Pet Life Radio. That's PetLifeRadio.com. If you have any questions for me, comments, or ideas for the show, you can email me. Email me at tim at petliferadio.com, and I'll be glad to answer your questions, entertain your comments, and bring on the people you want to hear from most. So until next time, write a great story about the animals in your life, share it in a blog, an article, or in a book, and who knows, you may be the next guest on Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Have a great day. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand. Only on PetLifeRadio.com. The views and opinions expressed on this program are those of the hosts and guests and are not necessarily those of this station, its management, or other hosts or advertisers on the Pet Life Radio Network.